This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo Irarangi Ona Tangata o Manawatu. Ko Fraser Greg Toko Ingwa. Um, we are on the catch up this morning with Jimmy Ellingham from the Manawatu Standard. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Fraser. Um, yes, uh, looking at what the Manawatu Standard have been reporting on in the last week or so, I should actually apologise for uh, the absence of the catch up over the past few days. Uh, sickness, schedule conflicts, and the like. It's just been the perfect storm. Sickness is going around too. I, uh, it's mm. uh, post-lockdown sickness. I think everyone's just thrilled to be out. And uh, <laughs> yes. luck- luckily we don't have COVID in this area. Although you'd think we wouldn't have as much sickness. I'm holding my face mask in my hand, which is doing a really good job in my hand, I should point out. Um, but you'd think there would be less sickness at this time of year with everyone wearing face masks. Yeah, that's the- a point. You would, actually. Uh, I guess in offices we're not uh, necessarily wearing them all the time. No, um, I, 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 the NPR office is treated much like the cafe rules. If you're moving about, face mask on. If you're sat at your desk, you've got the mm. physical distancing there. That seems to be the, the way, doesn't it? Mm. Um, schools, though, don't wear them, or don't have to wear them. No, and I, I was um, led to believe that we would be hearing an announcement on that because the um, when we did the catch up with Tang Utikeri on Friday, I think yeah, last Friday it was, um, as in the one before because we didn't do it this week. Um, he was. Uh, we were talking about how the government was responding to the Director General's advice when it came to schools, and I said, "Well, no, because he did say there should be masks and physical distancing and the like, and that's not happening in schools." And I got the impression, and I may have been reading between the lines wrongly, but I got the impression we'd be hearing an announcement about that and that perhaps the schools would be um, stiffing up the rules because it does seem bizarre that in every instance you have like the supermarkets and everything you have to maintain the physical distancing you have to wear the masks and then 300 students can descend on a school and not a mask in sight. It's a strange inconsistency isn't it? I heard something on uh, the radio last week too RNZ went and you know uh, spoke to students at different schools and some of them said we initially wore a mask and Mm -hmm. then no one else was so uh, we thought, what's the point? Government messaging is nothing against school peer pressure. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, let's have a look at what the Manawatu Standard has been uh, reporting on in the past week or so. No surprises that top of the bill, once again, is car parking. Yeah, speaking of peer pressure, this <laughs> is <laughs> one which, which the City Council has responded to. Of course, earlier in the year, I think might have been an April decision uh, by the Council which has gone down very badly, wasn't it, to uh, extend the the time in which you pay for parking in Mm -hmm. the city to late night during the week and Sundays, which at the moment uh, is free. A a couple of months ago, Mayor Grant Smith said, in response to this massive backlash, let's press pause on this Mm -hmm. uh, for a little while and perhaps go and do some consultation, which wasn't really done, or wasn't done really, was it? No, no. uh, Ahead of that first decision. If he said press pause, he should probably have pressed stop and eject. Yes, (laughs) yes, but they went out and sought uh, consultation. And um, bearing in mind too, there was that petition organised by Jerry Keating from The Globe, 6,000 people, Mm -hmm. I think, at least, uh, signed that saying. Never mind that they're wanting to spend, you know, 400 million on new wastewater plans and the like, you know, my dollar seventy on parking. Yeah, you know, let's get this priority right. <laughs> yes, yes. What is the priority? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but <laughs> there was a, a, 
a very large amount of interest actually into what uh, this latest round of consultation, 2,500, 2,600 uh, responses to the council, which is huge. Mm. And I think that is more than the wastewater. Uh, yes. I can't remember off the top of my head well, the number for that. But is there something in this? Should the city council, you, you know, they're always talking about engagement and trying to get the voters engaged. Should they, moving forward, look at an issue come up with the most ridiculous, <laughs> controversial, you know, anger-inciting solution and say, we're going to do this as a means to get the <laughs> yes. Jerry Keatings of this world fired up and incite a, a serious amount of engagement. A way of getting democracy, uh, mm-hmm. yes, yes. I, 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 there could well be. <laughs> I'm not sure if the council public relations team would... Uh, would uh, appreciate that necessarily if that's the way quite for possibly, every issue. Quite but, possibly, Ninety-seven uh, percent of people, it won't surprise you to know, of those 2,600 were in opposition to the changes about the hours. Uh, there is going to be some adjustment too in the amount you pay for parking mm-hmm. in, in some places, but no one seems to have bothered with that. It's no. a very minor, uh, minor change there. And parking in Palmerston North is still... Uh, quite cheap anyway. It is a dollar seventy, isn't it? Uh, is it is it a dollar seventy? Yes, it is a dollar seventy. Mm. Yes, and in fact, we'll get to it in a sec. I think there was a proposal to raise it a little bit. Uh, submitters called the council, among other things. <laughs> so perhaps some of the kinder comments were inept. Uh-huh. Uh, the proposal was a bad taste joke and unnecessary and annoying. And of course, the more uh, serious comments were to do with the effect on business and mm. discouraging people from coming to town, which particularly right now in Level 2, we've spoken before, haven't we, about restaurants, cafes, mm. bars, theatres. Everyone needs all the help they can get there, uh, really, to encourage people into town. And the opposition included the likes of Grey Power, the Chamber of Commerce, churches, so it was wide-ranging. Mm. As, as well as <laughs> like the hospitality industry, because I know I think Brew Union were quite prominent yes. uh, in that, and, and, and they carry a fair amount of weight given the sort of the financial investment they've put in and, and, and the traffic that they bring to Broadway. Yeah, owner Murray Cleghorn said, uh, and this is an argument that Susan Beatty and Grant Smith, uh, Mayor Grant Smith and Councillor Susan Beatty said was uh, probably quite compelling that staff members are finishing late, if they're not going to want to pay for parking, you mm-hmm. know, pay for the pleasure of your parking while you work. Uh, if they're going to park out of town when it's not really safe for them uh, to walk to their cars at night. And Beatty said that Brew Union had invested heavily in Broadway's rejuvenation and we should be listening to that mm-hmm. risk and, and the issues that it's identified there. Grant Smith said it was foolish to go against 97% uh, of the public opinion. However, not all councillors uh, agreed with this. No, well, I mean, just uh, on that, uh, this is the thing. This happened This happened in the Maori Wards th- uh, referenda and exactly. everything. We're not yes. going against 97% <laughs> of the population. You're going against 97% of the people who took the time to make a submission. Yes, exactly. And, and had you... Silent majority might have a completely different opinion. Had you applied the same argument to Maori boards, there wouldn't be mm. uh, Maori boards mm. at the moment, as we saw with those uh, two referendums in 2018. I think it was uh, Renee Dingwall, uh, the Greens councillor, asked the question: Should the council lead or be led? Which is basically what you've said here. Mm. And she said that, of course, um, as a compromise, maybe we could charge on Sundays, that sort of thing. Brent Barrett. Uh, said no, that the original proposal is what he supported. He, he, he fought to the last, didn't yes, he, on this yes, one? Yes, yes, saying that, well, this is a means to reduce traffic and we have to think of our climate change obligations. Now, I, this, this, this gets me a little bit. What is the – I mean, the argument is conceivably both, but Brent Barrett goes – Parking isn't free, and mm. it's an asset we should manage. Yes, he said something about parking should not be seen as a, yes. a, a right for it to be free. But at the same token, they're going, this isn't about the money, because they're not upping the costs in the normal amount of time. If 
if this was about asset management, then the plan should have gone ahead. If it's about money, the, the alternative is there, charge more for parking. Yeah, which Not is a lot what of people seem to be upset about that. That's what Orfi Michelet yeah. uh, proposed to rise it to sorry from $1.70 to $2 an hour uh, to try to make up that what will be a 125,000 shortfall in budget. Um, but that was defeated 13 to 4. Because apparently it's not about the money. So if it's about the asset management, then... if it, I mean, I, I agree with what's happened. I think there should be free parking. We should be encouraging people to go to uh, our CBD and enjoy the hospitality and the likes. But if it's about the asset management, then they should have just gone ahead. I wonder if this became more about the process and the lack of consultation, mm. though, because Councillor Lorna Johnson uh, agreed that... This could be a way to reduce emissions to discourage people from driving to town. But, however, uh, the council seemed to have you know, uh, mm. surprised people with this. And uh, she said, let's not pick another fight uh, with the public. Uh, Jerry Keating, too, when we asked for his reaction, said, surprisingly enough, that it was wonderful news. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, an interesting uh, turnaround from uh, an issue that's raised its head for the last five or six months. The other uh, aspect to this that I've, I've heard a few people say is, uh, OK, if you want to manage this asset and you want to encourage people to engage in alternatives, then where is the infrastructure for these in, in, uh, alternatives? Because cycling isn't safe everywhere in Palmerston North. Walking isn't safe everywhere in Palmerston North. At that North. time as well. Exactly. You're going to cycle into town at 8 o'clock at night to go for a meal with friends and then cycle home afterwards. I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. Public transport's not... You you know, the infrastructure as you get into that. Uh, I mean, I know Palmerston North City Council aren't in charge of public transport, but the alternatives aren't there. No. I mean, bus services are improving, aren't they? They're, yes. They're, they're getting better and more regular. Well, they're proposing that they will well, be. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we await with interest. <laughs> yeah. but, but they're not going to cater for everybody. And, and, of course, even if we were to have buses at night time, the argument about them being economic and all that sort of thing, but which one comes first, people mm. using them? That's almost a different argument. It's not going to help at the moment, no. uh, the situation facing uh, businesses, say, down Broadway or on the square, which would have been uh, affected by this. Uh, it's just not that fun, isn't it, keeping an eye on your watch? No. Every uh, every hour or two to go and feed the meter? Well, we, we watch with interest because I, I, I should imagine that um, given this proposal was put forward in the first place, there is an issue. It needs to be addressed. And I, can, I would assume uh, the likes of uh, Councillor Brent Barrett, who was very passionate about this, will bring this back to the table at some point, uh, maybe with some more consultation. Um, but we move on to other issues. Uh, you've got an update for us, Jimmy, on Kiwi Rail. The hearing about this uh, designation hearing, I think it's called, to say, can we, uh, is Kiwi Rail even allowed to build its 177 hectare super freight yard mm. uh, between Palmerston North and Bunnythorpe continues uh, very slowly. It's sort of a, a day a week or a couple of days a week, half over Zoom, some people in person. It really, it was supposed to happen, or was happening as as the level four lockdown hit in August. So it's 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 a slow, it's a slow burning one. Yes, uh, this one, and this doesn't even say will the rail yards go ahead. This is simply can the land be declared uh, appropriately zoned, right, uh, for a rail yard? And lots of people who live out that way are saying no. There's arguments we've heard that Kiwi Rail doesn't have the power. It's got the power to. Uh, have land declared okay for railways, but mm-hmm. this goes beyond that. It's, mm-hmm. it's a freight yard. Yes. It's private operations will, in fact, be it based doesn't, there. It doesn't matter if Kiwi Rail owns the land or not. They still have the limitations on what they can put there. That's what the argument is, mm-hmm. anyway, and that's one of the things that these commissioners uh, will, will hear. Kiwi Rail, of course, says, well, this is, 
this is all to do with the freight, mm. freight rail, rail-based freight business. So of course, it's not a secret what they've been up to. And this is what we heard on the, <laughs> <laughs> this is what we heard on Friday. So we had the city council chief planning uh, officer David Murphy mm. uh, responding to some of the concerns by residents out there who said this is a complete surprise to us. We've heard people saying we knew nothing about this till 2020, 2018. But David Murphy said. The fact for about 14 years the city council has made clear that that part of the city boundary mm. is in fact going to be used for this sort of activity. Of course, the actual freight yards itself are a surprise in a way that I think it was they were announced in what, 2018 or 2019, something <laughs> along those lines. Uh, well, I mean, that's the, the evidence we've heard from yeah, the people yeah, living yeah. out there. But as David Murphy said, since 2007, this area has been identified for industrial development. And he pointed to things such as uh, Kairanga Bunnythorpe Road, long been named a connection road for that freight mm. ring route yeah, that yeah, they yeah. want to put around the city. Uh, even the changing of Bunnythorpe into Palmerston North that uh, from the Manawatu district, yep. within the Manawatu district boundary, was done so something like this could well, be yeah, done I mean, a bit more the, easily. The, the, the term inland port has been bandied around for over a decade now in reference to Palmerston North. Yes. I've seen that in the in the news headlines in the city council. And all that development around what used to be a golf course, Golf City, you know, near the near the airport, mm. the industrial parkland as they call it. And, and that's just getting bigger and bigger and expanding more. So he sort of said this side of the city has long been identified for this. The other point that uh, David Murphy made, of course, and we've said before, that the existing freight yards for Kiwi Rail quite clearly have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. There's no land for them yes. in, in which to expand. And he said the likes of main freight and toll operate, so so businesses not to do with Kiwi Rail, private mm-hmm. businesses operate there, which is creating some difficulties. For example, uh, the main freight entrance, North Street, uh, Tremaine Ave, trucks used to report taking up to 15 minutes to get onto Tremaine Ave. So the city council then had to install traffic lights. Yes. There. And basically so And a, a handy yellow line for the drivers <laughs> to follow. <laughs> All the way down Tremaine Ave, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think the council installed that, but we, no. we still have it. <laughs> and, um, but yes, a commissioner pointed out, as, as we just have, but the people are surprised. Um, but yeah. Well, there, there, there's a, a delightfully self-censored sign uh, on, I assume, farmland uh, mm. near Bunnythorpe that says, don't let Kiwi Rail and PNCC expletive with our land. Right. Mm. Yes, yes. I think we can work out what's, yes. <laughs> what that one might say. And that, that does seem to be the feeling out there. And people out there who have bought, even ones who will not have to sell by this, pointed out, and this is unfortunately... Uh, what happens if these developments isn't they pointed out we've, we've bought a piece of quiet country peaceful land with our uh, lovely sort of rural e- ecosystem out here particularly and now we're faced with um, having a, an industrial mm-hmm. <laughs> complex on our back fence yes a little nimbyish but you can you can understand that to a certain extent. you can totally understand that and I imagine that when they bought their land some of these people in 2017 2018 2019 2020 um, a real estate agent probably didn't tell them by the way a massive uh, freight yard <laughs> because possibly they didn't know yeah. um, mm. at, at that point anyway but uh, the hearing's got a few more days to go so there'll be a couple more days evidence and then Kiwi Rail sometime in October will get its right of reply to uh, to what we've been hearing uh, which will be interesting and surely a decision will come out about that uh, in the following weeks or months. 
Very good. We are here with Jimmy Ellingham from the Manawatu Standard looking at what they've been reporting on in the last week or so. Remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We're also on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, Jimmy, last time we caught up uh, was via Zoom um, and I remember sitting, uh, because I was at home when we did that, um, sitting in disbelief, really, with regards uh, regards to Thai Happy Area School, their, uh, the, the land that they used to teach agriculture to their students, uh, given over to the land bank by Ministry for uh, Ministry of Education, even though the Ministry of Education had no right to do so. They no, didn't the, own it. The Ministry didn't own it. And of course, of most uh, public schools, the Ministry don't, owns everything. Mm. But in this case... That wasn't uh, what happened in about 30-odd years ago. Uh, many, f- many sausages were sold. <laughs> many sausages were sold. A local farmer, uh, the Cherry family, uh, offered the land cheap to the school, hmm. but still... The at a com- cost, yes. At a cost, yes. The school and community had to raise funds for this 13-hectare block that can be used for uh, teaching agriculture. And in fact, still is. Uh, so the school does have rights to use it. But what they don't have right now is ownership of mm. its own land. And I mean, we hear that there's no process to get it back out of the land bank. I think an act of parliament actually would do that. But Andrew Little, the, the education minister, who has said that that won't be uh, happening in this case. And there is what? there there is also a uh, possibility that local iwi will have a claim on it. Mm. And Local iwi, I think, by some in the town are sort of having fingers pointed at them, but they're not the ones. No, no, that, they, they may be the beneficiaries, but yes. it's, it's, the, it's the, the treaty settlements and the land bank that, that manage all that. Yes. Everyone should be pointing the finger at them. I did read the comments, bad plan. Uh, yes. Read the comments on this story on, on stuff. Um, and uh, there was, a, 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 I thought, a fairly justified point in, in, in someone commenting along the lines of, oh, the government stole your land and won't give it back. Interesting, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> We've been here before. Yes. <laughs> now you know what it feels like. Do you other- see the injustice? <laughs> yes. There were some other comments on the story too, pointing out, why on earth does the school need 13 hectares? Well, the point is... It owned it. Owned it. Yes. yes. And... If you want to teach people agriculture, 13 hectares, it's not huge. No, no, it's not a huge true. section. And there's different – I mean, <laughs> why why is it that we assume a school needs one small field? Mm-hmm. Um, and as I spoke to the Taihapi Community Board uh, chairwoman, Anne Abernethy, who used to work for the school and used to manage the farm, and she pointed out that of the people who live in the Taihapi area or who go through school there – uh, so many of them have careers agriculture related, but that's including things like fencing, shearers. Uh, she went on with quite a list. So uh, all of these people, while they're at school, could benefit from using this yes. farm. And of course, one bit of history, which I'll just summarise from last week too, is back when the land was bought, it was from Taihapi College, which later merged with Taihapi Primary School to create the area school. Mm-hmm. And that merger process is where this land has... Mistake. Tap it right. Got uh, it. Somewhere mm-hmm. along the lines. We're not quite sure where. The Education Ministry sort of said it was a bit of, of a mistake, whereas I think the ombudsman ruling that we spoke about last week tended to, his opinion, uh, Judge uh, Peter Boshio, I think, was, yes, it was a mistake, but it was through probably a bit more of a negligent process rather mm. than a genuine uh, uh, mistake. So the, the he ordered, we didn't order, actually, an ombudsman can't, can't order anything. Yeah. He suggested that uh, the school, apolo- uh, sorry, that the ministry apologise to the school. Mm-hmm. The ministry has done that. Yeah, it uh, wasn't very genuine, though. We, 
I, the ministry that who knows it's yeah. hard to tell when when you are dealing with sort of these ministries and that it's impossible to tell isn't it because everything they do is so watered down mm-hmm. and uh, sanitized that and gone through a committee of dozens of people you just don't know yeah so that the ministry has delivered this apology this ungenuine or heartfelt depending on your point mm. of view apology and the school has said uh, after considering it uh, sorry we we don't accept that principle uh, Craig Dredge said that that's a unanimous view of the school board um, don't, I don't blame them now, the school will now uh, consult with the community to find out what, what it mm. can do and is also getting legal advice on its situation he points out too that the school has a good relationship with local iwi and wants to maintain that and that's something that Anne Abernethy the community board uh, chairwoman uh, said too that she doesn't want the issue to become divisive in the town mm-hmm. and really it shouldn't there really is only one place I think you can look at yes. uh, to point uh, to point fingers at uh, Ian McKelvey the, the I was just about to ask about Ian yes. MP uh, I might have mentioned last week his his solution or what he thinks should happen is that the education ministry pays the school some form of compensation to either buy new land mm. or use however they wish to teach agriculture. And, I mean, that, that seems to be possibly the only way forward here because the school, at, at the moment, it is using the land while it's mm. in the land bank. Locally, we may well make a claim and let the school use it. Mm. But as Ian McKilvey says, the point about that is it's not guaranteed because mm. the school doesn't. Own it, yes. <laughs> which is where you which keep it coming, did. and which thought it, it continued to. And, and what the whole reason it went through that fundraising process was to own it. Um, it. It's a very interesting issue, and I don't think it's one that's going to go away uh, just yet. As much as the uh, education ministry or other officials, no, I don't think so. Um, what just uh, as a matter of comparison, is this a similar situation to what Fielding uh, High School would be in? Do they own the farmland that they use? Oh, I, or do I don't know actually about that. Mm. Um, I would think that most schools that own farmland, it would be ministry mm. because this was a special situation, yeah. wasn't it? Where rather than the school going to the ministry saying, "Can we buy this land?" Uh, the community basically yep. bought it. And uh, the Cherry family that sold it, I think they sold the 13 hectares for something like 45000 which was actually cheap even oh, in 1990. Yes. Uh, and the Cherry family did so because apparently um, they had a, a either a painting or maintenance business, I can't quite remember, and the school used to give it lots of work and that really helped it get off the ground. So in return, they thought, well, we want to do something for the school. Mm. And that's how this whole business came about. So that's why there was no education ministry involvement because they didn't need it. I wonder if a few schools uh, with their own individualised assets will be looking at their books very carefully at the moment and making sure they still own what they think they own. Yes, yes. Although that wouldn't have been a problem in this case, I think, without the merger because Mm. Taihapi Area School was having trouble proving that it owned the land. The old Thai Happy right. College had no trouble right. because Thai Happy College bought it. Right. So, I mean, anyone with common sense could probably see, well, look, that school became. Ah, no, there you go. Your, your reliance on common yes. sense, Jimmy. I thought you were less naive than that. Um, uh, well, that, was being, uh, that was a rhetorical uh, point, I think. <laughs> um, let's move on. We've got about ooh, six and a half minutes left. We might be able to get through two, but certainly one. Uh, flexible voting systems, as you refer to off-air as confusing voting systems. <laughs> yes. So the city council is looking at its uh, processes for ahead of the next election, which, goodness me, is only a year oh, or so away. Oh, and uh, at the moment, we have 15 councillors elected at large, plus a mayor, as we know. But of course, um, now with the addition of Māori wards, of which there will be two, mm-hmm. so the idea would be 13 general councillors and two Māori ward councillors. Yep. So in a way, we have gone back to wards, in a way, yes. but not as it was. So there's been a review of representation, as they call it. And some people have pointed out, perhaps quite fairly, is at the moment those on the Māori role 
will only get to elect two people. Mm. Those on the general roll will only get to elect 13. It's a similar situation to what you get at the national election anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, uh, there's six Māori seats? No. Seven, I think. Seven, yeah. Seven Māori seats. But, but if you're voting in the local Māori seat, um, you don't have a say then on who's the Palmerston North general mm. uh, MP. So that, that is an issue perhaps to grapple with uh, at a wider level than just local uh, government, but uh, yes, yeah, so, uh, some of the submitters actually, not surprisingly, on this um, <laughs> use it to relitigate the Maori ward uh, option, which of course is too late. That's, uh, yes, that's set in stone uh, now. But one uh, submitter who pointed out this problem or the disparity between the two and thirteen uh, pointed to a system that was developed in Canberra in the 1990s. And my thoughts on this, before I explain it, is the sort of thing that probably makes a lot of sense for a political scientist, and yes. it probably is perfect, but. Taking an abacus into a voting (laughs) booth is not really ideal. When you're trying to encourage people to vote uh, in elections to have poor turnouts, and Mm. we've we've talked about that before, the declining turnout at local government, uh, that reached its nadir perhaps in uh, the Bulls (laughs) by-election this year. when um, Like $20 a vote or something. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, Palmerston City Council hasn't got to that point uh, yet. But uh, the suggestion that the council heard was that as well as Māori wards, you, you carve the rest of the general ward up into districts. And, but this is where I got a bit confusing. So I'm confused. It's less stringent than wards, yes, but it would mm. give the flexibility to voters, um, sorry, to people to vote for people who say they want to represent them or say they just want to represent the city generally. I'm not quite sure how that would work. The only thing I could think of is on the voting forms, are people going to say, I want to represent the south, north, and then you make your decision on that basis. Mm. But the thing is, once you become a councillor, you swear an oath that you're going to represent the best interests of the city, yes. regardless of what ward you, you come from. Yes, That will be the same for the Māori ward. Yes, these people will have a, a, a Māori world view, and, mm. and that's precisely what we want around the table, but they will be working in the best interests of everyone yes, in they're the city. Not, they're not, as people sometimes say, that they're there to represent Māori. Well, no, no. they're there to represent <laughs> the Māori world view, not At the Māori city, people yes. in the city. Yes, yes. yes. Yes, exactly. And it's a yeah. different thing. Isn't it? So we, we had 80 submissions uh, on this representation review. 48 people wanted to stay with the 15 for the number of councillors. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people um, actually wanted to reduce the number because they said that would save money. But Lorna Johnson, I think it might have been, or someone on the council anyway, pointed out that that's not the case because, mm-hmm. as we've spoken about, say, with the Horizons wanting to get extra councillors and whatnot, that you do change you might change the number, but that pool of salary. And Manawatu yeah. has had this yes. uh, discussion recently, but it doesn't change the uh, what you just allocated. the councillors more. more. And that. there is an argument for mm. that, but there's also arguments, isn't there, to have more representatives yes. per head of population. So there's two uh, counterpoints there. Also, the council's proposal was to have no community boards, and we've spoken about the Bunny Thought one. Mm. That was supported uh, by uh, most people who, who had a say on that. And also, perhaps amusingly, a lot of people... <laughs> talking about the representation review, um, took the chance to have a say about what they thought about the Main Street Pioneer Highway cycleway. Of course they did. That's the appropriate venue for that. Yes, yes. they didn't like it. No, no really? <laughs> How bizarre. Who knew? Um, and the other, the other thing that I took away from that story was that um, people on the Maori ward would be able to vote for people in the general ward and vice versa. Potentially. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, it sounds nice, but then we run into trouble, don't we? With if we're not going to go by the Maori role and you know and the general role, then how many wards do we have? All, all that sort of thing. It, it is quite troublesome. And as I said, I think it's something that people do have to grapple with because there is a disparity, isn't there, between being able to choose t- two people and thirteen? Yes. 
But how to deal with that, I'm not quite sure I've heard anything that no. actually deals with that in, a, in an appropriate way. No. And the other, the other uh, issue with reducing the number of councillors, you've just reminded me, is that that would mean there would only be one Māori uh, yes, could ward do. councillor, yeah, which yeah. would, you know, sitting in isolation as the Māori ward councillor, <laughs> yes. not only is that just inherent racism on a sort of personal level, but you, you, you're, you're there on your own. You don't have the backup of someone else no. that has, shares the same world. One thing I've often wondered about is that why don't you let everybody vote in the Māori wards and everybody, which is sort of what we just said, but not choose to, but mm. just say mm. there's two wards and everyone votes in them. That could be a possibility. But then, of course, having non-Māori vote for a Māori representative, I'm not quite sure about that either. Mm. Uh, Jimmy, we've got about 40 seconds. Uh, let's see if we can do it. Tamakuku Development uh, near James Line, there's going to be, it's the mixed model of social housing and private development. Yes, so that's the council development there, it's, it's, which is happening. There's infrastructure yep. going in right the, at the moment off um, James's line, isn't yep. it? Yep. And uh, Homes for People, which uh, is, helps people into homes, as, yes. as it sounds, is um, just an idea of the council to include 50 medium density houses there across two stages of the development. So that means that while the rest of it will be, perhaps the council hasn't quite worked out what's going to happen yet, has it? But if the rest of it goes to private developers, it could be just, you know, your usual sort of expensive housing. But there will be 50 houses there, affordable housing. Uh, It will be to sort of help people on the property ladder. That's good news. Homes for People has done a lot across the city, hasn't it? So it's getting, getting a good reputation for helping people. Get a, a leg up onto the property uh, market. Indeed, more information on all those stories, uh, nz or stuff.co.nz. Jimmy, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Fraser. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We'll be back tomorrow, hopefully, with another edition. Bye for now. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.